Thanks for tuning in to the Survival to Thrival podcast, based on the book series with the same name. I'm Helen Croydon, and I'm the interviewer of the biggest stars of the show, the two co-authors, Tehi Norm and Bob Tinker. Tehi and Bob are a duo of investor and entrepreneur. They have a long history of working together and have written two books together, aimed at founders and entrepreneurs striving to build enterprise startups. This podcast is based on the themes, advice and real world stories from their book series, Survival to Thrival. If you enjoyed this, please like it, subscribe or share it with your network. In our last episode, we talked about sales leaders unlearning. Today, let's dig into how the CEO must change as the company grows. Bob, how did your role change at Mobileion as the company grew from when you started it, as you say, from a whiteboard uh, to the more, you know, to large scale growth? For a little context, Mobileion grew from about zero to about a thousand people. And what I didn't realize going into it is that effectively I had three really different CEO jobs. The first one was sort of like Captain America, like with the platoon in the woods. It's like a band of brothers and sisters, like just trading, trying to fight to survive. And then as we were starting to grow, the CEO job shifted to be more like the Avengers, where it's you and a band of superheroes, a marketing superhero, a product superhero, an engineering superhero. And you know, your job's just try and hold the superheroes together. Um, and then once the company got to about four or 500 people, it changed again and became much more like Professor Xavier in the X-Men, where you're like the dean of a university where you have to do a lot fewer things, but for a lot more people and repeat yourself a lot. And I wish I had understood going into it how the job was going to change because um, fundamentally that affected how I needed to behave and how I needed to unlearn and rewire myself as the company grew. The, the interesting thing about, I find about this, uh, CEO evolution is, is that some people think by doing this that, uh, Hey, professor Xavier must be the ideal CEO. It's just that, uh, at the, when the company first gets started and the CEO adopts a professor Xavier like approach many times, that's not the right fit that you actually want a Captain America type profile in the beginning. Right. Bob, can you um, talk us about the specific unlearning examples that you struggled with in the first change? Yeah. So this was at about 50, 60 people, you know, going from sort of the Captain America, Wonder Woman, Platoon in the Woods stage to the Avengers stage. Um, there was really sort of two... <laughs> Two particular challenges I remember acutely. Um, the first one is when you start hiring like grade A superhero executives. Mm -hmm. In order to do that, number one, you have to let go because otherwise you're not going to be able to hire them and they're going to like hate working for you. Um, and the second thing is when they when they come in, the first thing they do is they look at all the great stuff you've been doing and they're like, that's terrible. I can do better. And so it's a really uncomfortable process to hire these great execs and it feels a little personal because they're effectively calling your baby ugly, but that's exactly what needs to happen at that stage. Um, that was one funny example. Um, the second one was a little more operational, but turns out um, was pretty profound, which is that I needed to shift from being the CEO of the stuff I was good at and the stuff that I like to do 
to be CEO of the whole company. And just for, to double click on that, like my background is sort of product and customers. And that tended to be where I gravitated to in the Captain America Wonder Woman stage. But as we shifted to grow, like I needed to be the CEO of the whole company and all the different functions and to be able to help all the different parts of the business move forward. And I wasn't doing that. I was really effectively gravitating to be the CEO of the stuff that I was good at and I liked to do. And how that came to a head was that, um, I don't know, we were probably 60, 70 people. And two of the execs on my team basically sat me down and said, hey, Bob, we are not getting from you what we need ouch, right, <laughs> to have your team come in and tell you that. Thank God they did, actually. I give them a ton of credit for having the courage to come in and tell me that. And effectively, that was their message, is we need you to be the CEO of the whole company. And, um, you know, the big unlearning for me there was to let go of the things I was particularly good at and become CEO of the whole company. And how that happened was my what ended up working for me was something called swim lane. I divided the company up into five swim lanes, product stuff, customer stuff, go-to-market stuff, people stuff, and finance stuff. And I thought about like what needed to happen in each one of those swim lanes and also paying really close attention to how I was spending my time across those swim lanes because it became painfully obvious really quickly that I was spending my time in the swim lanes that I liked to do and was most comfortable with. And so that became sort of not just a vehicle for figuring out what to do, but it also became a vehicle for sort of managing myself and unlearning sort of my natural reflexes in that transition from Captain America, Wonder Woman to more the Avengers stage. Yeah. Tehi, does that mirror what you've found? It, it does. Um, this, uh, what Bob says about swim lanes found to be uh, uh, quite effective. Um, another way of looking at it, look at it, it's like a, a balloon where um, – uh, you know, something may stick out of the balloon, which is, let's say, a customer issue, a finance issue, a particular issue. And then the natural tendency is to try to sort of push it back in the balloon. And in, in doing so, the air pops out someplace else in the balloon. <laughs> and, and and so the idea of swim lane is so that uh, uh, you as CEO could have a systems view. And so you can see how the whole system is working together and allows you then to delegate a particular swim lane to an Avenger, going back to Bob's metaphor. Yeah. Making yourself behave to match with the swim lanes was really about sort of how I was spending my time. And that's harder to change than I thought it would be. And there's a funny story that Phil Fernandez, who is the CEO of Marketo, uh, shared with me. That in the early days of Marketo, when they when Phil was making this transition from sort of the Captain America Wonder Woman stage to the Avengers stage, you know, Phil during Captain America stage would periodically go in and write code. And, you know, the team's version with Phil of sitting me down and telling me he needed to do other stuff was they actually cut off Phil's access to the source code. So he'd stop going in and coding and actually spend time out in the field with customers. So sometimes these interventions with early stage CEOs to drive these, you know, unlearning moments, um, turns out uh, it comes about in different ways. I bet. So if first change, as you say, is all about swim lanes, what about that second stage? 
that you outlined earlier? What are the specific examples that you struggled with there? Yeah, so this this change came about when we we're about 450 people. So, you know, it's a pretty big company at this stage. And, you know, the CEO job changed again on me. And this was one that I actually struggled with more. This one was harder for me to unlearn and rewire myself on. So now you're shifting to be more like Professor Xavier, where you're the dean of the university. You have to do a lot fewer things, but for a lot more people. Struggle number one was recognizing that I had to repeat myself a lot and effectively be a signal generator. Mm -hmm. That's actually part of the job is to, you know, how it felt though was I felt like I was just repeating myself a lot. I was saying the same thing over and over again. I do the same presentation over and over again. I do the same goals discussion over and over again. And I was sort of like, wait a minute, we talked about this. Just like move on. But what I realized is at that stage company, a big part of the CEO's job is to actually generate the signals, get everybody pointed and aligned in the right direction. And yes, that takes repetition and that's okay. But for me, I was judging it through the lens of my old CEO role saying that that's a waste of time. And that was unfairly judgmental of me. So I had to get comfortable with this idea of being a signal generator versus just an execution focused person. Um, The second big change uh, for me in the transition to Professor Xavier mode was much more personal, which is that if you unpack most of the mistakes I made as CEO, you could sort of peel that back. And at the core of it, it's sort of a common pattern. And that pattern was I would occasionally let my fear of self-inflicted short-term turbulence get in the way of doing the right long-term thing. And, you know, keep in mind at this stage, the company's 450, 500 people, like it's not going to die. Yet, you know, the wiring from the early days of the company was that you're constantly worried about existential threats that might kill the company. And so if there's a change that needed to be made, like, and you're like, oh, the collateral damage from this change is going to be so painful, But at the stage where you're growing, you're hitting turbo growth, like sometimes you do need to make hard changes. They're going to be messy for a little while and create some collateral damage, but it's the right long-term thing to do. Getting unlearning that fear of self-inflicted short-term turbulence to make hard changes that sometimes might be painful for 30, 60, 90, 120 days to get to the right long-term answer was uh, probably my biggest unlearning uh, struggle. Mm -hmm. Tehi, do you have anything to add to that? What Bob was saying here, um, I find, is uh, relates to like one key challenge the CEO has throughout this evolution, which is, you know, how do you give up control while maintain control? You know, you want to empower your executives and your team, but at the same time, as CEO, yeah. you have full accountability and you're trying to drive the whole company. And so in the beginning, the Captain America Wonder Woman is person that basically is doing everything, you know, being managing every task. And the next phase of Captain America, uh, next phase of the Avengers, as Bob said, with the swim lanes is really empowering each Avenger. And so the CEO is doing that while at the same time must be a very good system thinker to see how all of this fits together and the swim lanes help you in that respect. And then as the company gets to the four to 500 and the CEO becomes a professor Xavier, 
you know, uh, uh, it's hard. The company is reaching a point. It's hard to just manage everything. The CEO is setting goals or uh, uh, tracking metrics. And this is where, as Bob said, becoming a signal generator, repeating himself a lot. It's really about how you're. Uh, uh, directing the company by really leveraging vision and control and, and uh, culture, you know, setting the right vision for the company and setting the right culture in terms of what people should do. Yeah, that's totally right. And um, Bob, you're very um, honest in admitting how you struggled with these unlearning moments, and you're obviously very self-aware of these issues. Oh, I mean, how do you unlearn? Who helped you? Well, it's bring, it's interesting you brought up self-awareness. Um, you know, I think there were two things that helped me unlearn and rewire. Um, the first one was just getting critical and honest feedback from people, like my team. Um, the fact that they were willing to give me critical and honest feedback was really important. But that needs to be paired with a level of self-awareness where you're also kind of constantly watching yourself to sort of figure out, Hmm, did I do a good job at that? Or did I do a bad job at that? Could I have done better and actually ask for feedback? Cause at some point, it, by the time the team's volunteering feedback to you, it's usually pretty late. So asking for critical, honest feedback and not being defensive about it, I think required a level of self-awareness and you kind of have to leave your ego at the door because obviously the, the types of things you're going to get feedback on when you ask for it like this is it, it's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be complimentary, but you know, it's a really important part of growing and learning and getting that input to figure out where you need to unlearn and rewire. Um, but it is uncomfortable. Um, it's kind of hard on the ego actually. Um, because on one hand, it sort of feels like the company's doing great and you and the team are doing great, but then sort of getting criticized for the stuff you're not doing well. And, you know, that feels like, ah, oh, at the time, but it's exactly what needs to happen. Um, you know, Ben Horwitz, uh, who is it in Dreesen Horwitz, but before that was the CEO of Live Ops, had a funny story that he told, which is that, um, you know, in the early days of the company, everything's an existential threat. You're just trying not to die. But then once the company really starts to grow, you sort of shift into optimism mode where sometimes what happens is bad news gets swept under the rug about the business or about people. And the thing he had to learn was run towards the pain and the darkness, which is, you know, whether that's at a company level or at a personal level, at some level, you have to consciously seek out where the issues and challenges are, even when things seem like they're going well. I just want to echo what Bob said about uh, having the CEO uh, ask for feedback and not being defensive about it. You know, you can clearly ask the team, but also you can ask the board itself. Mm, yeah, great point. Because many times uh, uh, if you don't ask and the board doesn't say anything, it doesn't mean that the board's not thinking about it. So it's like then a, an issue that is sort of slowly growing until it explodes as a volcano. So that's one way of getting feedback is having the volcano explode. But the other is to proactively work and just ask for feedback. Yeah. And that like, don't be defensive. Like that's the thing. As soon as you're defensive on debating one of these points that somebody brings up, guess what? The next time you ask, they're just not going to tell you. 
getting rid of that sort of defensive reflex, um, even if, you know, in your head, there may be perfectly good reasons why maybe that's justified. Just don't do it because in the long run, it starts to close off these different spigots of feedback that are so important to unlearning. And, you know, this change, it all sounds very stressful. (laughs) Um, How... How do you handle it when you're going through it? Yeah, actually, it is pretty stressful because the analogy is like you're trying to fly a plane and gain altitude and pull up on the stick as hard as you can. And effectively, what I found that I needed to do was like go out on the fuselage and rip open the wiring mid-flight and start messing around. Like that's kind of the last thing you want to do because you're just trying to keep the plane in the air and make it fly. And last thing you want to do is screw around with the wiring of the plane. Um, But yet that's exactly kind of what needed to happen. And um, there was a couple things that helped for me. One is a little corny, but it actually did help is that um, I actually had a little first time CEO club where me and three other folks who were all first-time CEOs about the same time in 2008. Uh, we used to get together like every other month and ask each other silly questions that we were effectively too embarrassed to ask anybody else. Um, that helped. Um, you know, the second thing that helped me um, was to try and maintain some emotional distance from the company and the team um, to maintain a level of sort of clinicality because it's really easy when it's you and the band of brothers and sisters in the early days, just trying to fight to survive, to put your ego, put your emotions into the company and the team. And it becomes so intertwined that it becomes hard to be clinical about you and the company. And so maintaining a little bit of emotional distance helped me. Um, sometimes that was frustrating for the team because they felt like I was being a little bit of a Vulcan. Um, but it was almost kind of a survival tactic for me to be able to not get so intertwined with what was going on that I would sort of lose perspective, but that was hard. Um, and the third thing that helped me with sort of the stress of unlearning was getting some good mentors. And specifically what I found here was, you know, Mentors that are two, three, four, five years ahead of where I was at the time were super helpful. Mentors that were like 15, 20 years ahead of where I was, I found were useful, but not quite as actionable or relevant. So, you know, in this case, there was a couple CEOs who were two or three years ahead of me. Uh, one was a guy named Rob Meinhart, who was CEO of a company called Case, who was a couple years ahead of Mobile Iron. And then later, um, uh, Mark McLaughlin, who is the CEO of Palo Alto Networks, uh, which was a couple years ahead of Mobile Iron. Um, I found that to be super helpful to have some mentors who were just a couple years ahead of us. And Tehi, out of the CEOs that you work with as an investor, what are the ways that they cope? Yeah, CEO job is is tough uh, and very stressful, as you and Bob talked about. And so many times uh, uh, the CEO feels very yeah. alone. Um, you know, if, uh, if you share too many problems with your executive team, they they start leaving, you know, (laughs) if you share too many problems with your board, they may fire you or they may not invest in your next round. 
and, and and so as a result, uh, uh, it's tough for the CEO to really uh, talk about the issues that he or she may be facing. At the same time, though, I think it's important for the CEO to realize that they're really not alone. That uh, uh, you know everyone in the company has the same goals, which is they want the company to succeed. They actually want the CEO to succeed because when the CEO succeeds, the company succeeds. So it's uh, on one hand feeling lonely, but on the other hand is to really uh, how to figure out how to leverage the uh, the whole community to to make the person successful. And that's where I think uh, what Bob said about the different ways of getting advice uh, from mentors, coaches, CEO clubs, others. And even your team, actually. You know, yeah, and your team. We just got time for one more question. So I want to ask both of you this. For first-time CEOs out there, what advice would you give to your younger self? Great question. Let's see. The first thing would be unlearning is a lot harder than learning because once you just feel like you've kind of got it figured out, it changes on you. Uh, that would be sort of point number one. The second piece of advice would be, you know, being a CEO is painful, stressful, lonely, and really, really hard, but it's a spectacular learning experience and a fascinating exercise in self-awareness that I think like a lot of hard things in life, getting married, having kids, whatever it is, like makes you a better person on the other side. And, uh, you know, I would say if you're thinking about it, uh, go for it. And Tehi, what about you? I I would follow up on two things that Bob said which are, it sounds simple, but uh, I, I think it can be significantly beneficial. One is to form a CEO club with other first-time CEOs. You know, having that support group, I think will be very helpful and very complementary to the, the team and the board. And it's something that uh, I think is not intuitively obvious for many first-time CEOs. So is to form that club. Um, and, and the second is uh, actively look for the right mentors who are, let's say, two to three years ahead of you, as Bob described. So I think if you have the, the, the CEO club and the right mentors, and they're a very good external complement to the, the team and the company that every CEO is going to be so highly focused on. Great advice, both of you. Yep. I'll echo, I'll echo Tay's point there that the key thing here is the CEO job. You feel like you're alone a lot and you're sort of getting it from all directions. And that's, that's part of it. But having these mentors, having the first time CEO club, asking your team for feedback, just remember you're not actually alone. Ask for help and you'll be amazed. Well, Bob Tinker, Tay Nam, let's hope that all this great advice on this podcast inspires CEOs to do just that. Thanks for listening to the Survival to Thrival podcast with me, Helen Croydon, and co-authors Tehi Nam and Bob Tinker. This podcast is aimed at enterprise startup leaders. If there's someone you know who would find this podcast useful, please share it with them, subscribe, or leave a review. That's how others find us. 